0: Affordability is a huge problem for U.S. patients. It affects whether a patient's going to fill their prescription in the first place and whether they'll stick with their prescribed treatments. Doctors know that costs are a big deal, but they generally have no way to understand the implications for the patient that's right in front of them. Hi, everyone. I'm David Williams, president of Strategy Consulting Firm Health Business Group and host of the Health Biz Podcast, a weekly show where I interview top healthcare leaders about their lives and careers, My guest today is Kyle Kaiser. He is CEO of Arrive Health, and he should have a lot to say about solving this problem of putting cost information right into the provider workflow. If you enjoy this episode, please press that like button and subscribe. Kyle, welcome to the Health Biz Podcast. Glad to be here. I love talking about costs in healthcare, especially about someone who's doing something about it. So that's gonna be fun. I wanna, before we get into that, ask you a little bit about your, your background and your upbringing. Any childhood influences that have still stuck with you, for example?
1: Oh well, yeah. Um, well, I say I, I literally grew up in the employee benefits business. So my my dad was in the employee benefits world, and so to the extent that when you know if I got in trouble at school and got sent home, I, my punishment was stuffing enrollment packets. So yeah, I <laughs> like seeing it from feet on the street, and um, you know, always had a great interest in that world and wanted to go into that business. Honestly, like that was the Tunnel vision path that I was taking all the way through, you know, high school and college. And as I started to work in that business, so early in my career, started worked for, you know, as a wholesale rep for employee benefits companies. It just, you know, you start to see uh, there are really good, well-meaning brokers out there trying to solve problems for their customers, uh, but the the options were so limited. The you know, you really could either shift the cost onto the back of the plan sponsor or shift the cost onto the back of the patient. And that was really the toolkit they had yeah. to be perfectly honest. And so, um, you know, that first hand experience was what made me want to, you know, be in sort of the innovation side of healthcare and see if there's, you know, if, if there are actual real ways that you can start to influence mm-hmm. and control lower costs. Uh, you know, some,
0: some, sometimes these, uh, Career paths look clear in retrospect. In, in, in your case, it was uh, it, it was pretty obvious up front. Now, I would say though that it, you know sometimes they say if someone's punished for something, you know they might not want to do it more. But it seems like I don't know if like you, got, <laughs> you could get sent home from school every day and start your career uh, early, but it's probably just the right amount, the right touch. So I,
1: I think there's uh, maybe Thomas Merton said there's two paths to transformation: it's great love and great suffering. And so I think you know one of those two works every time.
0: When I was growing up, my dad is a highway safety researcher and uh, used to come into the office and they used to take me into the film room and they tee up these films. And, and the ones that I remember the most were uh, these dummies. This is before it was sort of everybody was there and you'd, you'd see a film and it, would, and it would show dummies being thrown around. The one I liked the best is when I think the Volkswagen Rabbit came out and they were showing the <laughs> un- underride bars and how it's like a low car could go in and it'd shear off the head of the, uh, of the dummies or they had actual pictures too. And I thought that was cool, but it didn't make me want to go into that. It didn't want to make me be a dummy. That's for sure. So yeah, you fair. mentioned sort of your, you know, you knew you want to do that early on and then, you know, sort of education wise, like what did, what did you study in school in order to, you know, in order to get ready or, or for whatever other purpose?
1: I, I think that's, you know, that was by far not a straight line. I, um, I went to a small liberal arts school in Western North Carolina called Guilford College, uh, which I love dearly and, um, you know, got a business degree, but I think, you know, a business degree at a uh, liberal arts Quaker school was a really unique and interesting thing. And it it was, um, you know, to me, less the subject matter and more the method was valuable. And it was, you know, our, our economics test was three or four questions and the Wall Street Journal on your desk. And you had to write narratives about you know and apply the things you learned uh which is a pretty high stakes environment when you get three or four questions that determine half your grade yeah Um, but you know a place that really encouraged critical thinking really gave you a deep understanding of the human context Um, and then after all of that framework was set then you can sort of gain some skill set so i i mean i i joke i could probably have benefited more from a peace and conflict studies degree from Guilford College than <laughs> a business degree or, or equally because it was it's more the place and the method and the people and the community so I, I absolutely loved it still involved with them today I think uh, that,
0: I'm so. a big fan of liberal arts education uh, myself and you know so the idea is it's going to teach you how the critical thinking is as you mentioned because even though the the question of you know, cost within healthcare was a big deal even when you're growing up I mean the specific um, applications now and technology and, and the structure of the healthcare system are different. So if you'd studied that at the time, uh, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been as helpful as just learning how to address these, uh, these new and complicated challenges.
1: Yeah. And, and people, right? Like a desire and sincere seeking of understanding others and their perspective, sort of that seek to understand as a skill set was, was something I really valued.
0: Talk about this uh, you know earlier part of your career before you got to what's now Arrive Health and was RX Review before. I saw a few entities on your on your resume, BBT, Assurance, Emeritas, Catapult are ones that I that I noticed. What was that kind of progression uh like through those?
1: Yeah, so early early career was doing you know, wholesale rep for employee benefits companies. So calling on brokers who would then work with employers, and you would get a little bit of interface there with the plan sponsors um in that case so uh, that was you know sales role in the belly of the beast selling for you know payers of a variety different varieties sometimes ancillary benefits sometimes others what, what was the, really the turn for me is i went to work for principal financial group which was at the time they had a uh, health plan and a wellness business uh, and so started to work in principal wellness company had a great mentor there and uh, that was like a you know 50 person maybe close to 70 percent by the end, start up inside of a 10,000 person financial services company. And um, that's kind of where I got the bug to lean more heavily into the innovation side of healthcare. You just, you know, you see people that are so passionate about what they're doing and solving a big problem. And uh, so maybe that entrepreneurship experience is what inspired the the desire to then go be an early employee at WellTalk, early employee at Capital Health, uh, both, you know, led by really great folks, got to learn from some great uh, leaders and entrepreneurs at both of those stops. And, and those just gave me the bug to go earlier. And so, um, as you know, I met Carm and I think he was sitting at Galvanize working on the problem by himself at the time. And, you know, he started a civil team, a founding team that I was a part of, and we've been working on it ever since.
0: Great, and of course, you're talking about Carm uh, Huntress and the founders of, uh, of RX Review now at Credo Health. And also a podcast guest. So, when you when you came to uh, RX Review, I mean, what was the what was the early concept? Like, what what was the reason for this company being there? And obviously, it wasn't just kind of a me too player's doing something new and unique.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so this was all inspired by Kevin O'Brien, who's one of the co-founders. He um, he's a physician in Denver, and uh, the initial spark for this company was because Kevin's mom approached him with a uh, out of control monthly prescription spend and asked for some help. And so, like any good son with the skill set to do something about it, he you know looked at reds and said, "Well, this is a branded med that we could break into its generic parts. Here's a the- therapeutic equivalent for this one. You could pill split this one," and and he cut her spend in half. Yeah, that um, that was initially the inspiration for Kevin then to start doing that work on his own by himself inside of his clinic. So he aggregated this massive database of ways to save on medication, um, and and that's that was the place from which we launched. And I think that. That set our course in a few really important ways. Uh, one is the provider centricity that, um, you know, the right steward for this information is the provider. That's the one, Those are the folks that uh, patients seek those answers from um, and, and are often ill-equipped to answer those questions, not because they aren't skilled enough to do so, but because the information is not visible. And then two, just culturally, um, his experience with his mom was something that just sort of created the drumbeat for the culture. Uh, we still have a mantra uh, that we developed years ago called Lucy up, and it's it's the reminder to the team to sort of you know look to the mission. When you get too far in the weeds, when you're working on something that may seem like a struggle or mundane, that that we can tell each other to Lucy up, and we remember that this is about somebody we care about or ourselves that have had an experience with the system that just didn't make sense or or was too expensive, or, you know, couldn't access for one reason or another, and uh, that's because Kevin's mom's name was Lucy. So you know, even today we're still you know giving a monthly Lucy Up Award. We've got a championship belt that gets passed around the country, and now there's a fun uh, there's sort of a fun phenomenon where people take the belt and do things like they'll go skiing with it, or I think yeah. last month we had somebody go to the floor of the Indiana basketball arena with it, and um, it's a it's a cool phenomenon that completely was a groundswell from the team. Sounds so, good. Um, so
0: so when you started with so we started with something like, like specific problem solving for his mom, and then uh, created more of a, of a database, which should still be sort of like a, a list or best practices, how, or when did you know that could be actually incorporated into a product?
1: Um, I think that really where this took off is we started to work closely with UC Health in Denver and the Care Innovation Center and, and build decision building some decision support applications that were workflow. The goal of that was, can we take clinical best practice and cost, put it side by side into So a one-click experience for providers and and we did that successfully in some in some focused ways and uh at the same time real-time benefit was coming to be in the industry through the pbms and uh, the pbms were were not experiencing um great engagement with some of that information and so they you know we started to work with them on how we could improve engagement with with real-time benefit and that's really where the thing took off is that we you know started to pull together now we've pulled together over 200 million uh, health plane lives addressable on the supply side inventory of the network. Uh, we started to aggregate provider utilization through provider EMR partnerships. We're now north of 300,000 uh, users on that side of the network. And uh, that was, you know, that was the moment where it started to click. We, we don't even do those decision support projects anymore, but it, it laid the groundwork and, and informed the way we develop product. Uh, to really focus on user experience, to make things easier, not harder for providers to have quality front and center in what we're putting forward, because this all comes down to provider trust, right? At the end of the day, if the provider trusts the tool, they'll use it. If they don't trust the tool, they won't, and we won't see the outcomes that we desire. Uh, At the same time, the patient has this inherent trust in their provider. They come back to them for those answers, and so we got to provide that information to them, arm them with the ability to serve their patients in that way. So it all... For for us on both sides of the provider relationship, both the tools they use and the patients they serve, this all comes down to providers' trust and belief in the data.
0: So, if we think about you know what you were starting with, it, it sounded like some of the things like taking a a branded product and splitting it into its generic equivalents, or having a pill that you could split. Those are things that are kind of in, more or less independent of an individual's benefit. Now, in general, you could take a branded product and if you can just separate into components, that's one thing. But I think where it gets challenging beyond that is, as you're describing, you know, how does it pertain specifically to an individual's benefit? Somebody could have a product in the first tier of their formulary and and, and another individual with the same health characteristics, different plan, you it could be different. So the physician can't just depend on that. And it sounds like the real-time benefit is there is the information that's being provided, at least theoretically, to uh, to the prescriber that would help somebody understand, like, is this a tier one drug or or not, is, is that right? And can you say more about, about kind of what's yeah, being presented?
1: Yeah, even beyond that, so uh, you know, ePrescribing 1.0 provided exactly what you're describing. It was tier information and sort of some directional guidance that was at a group and plan level. Real-time benefit is patient-specific, moment in time-specific, pharmacy-specific information. The reason that matters is prescribing 1.0 2, 1, 1. was 2004, maybe? And in 2004, there were starting to, you know, the consumer driven healthcare wave was just building today. That's the way of the world, right? Is that more than half of health plans are, are high deductible health plans. Patients are bearing first dollar risk on those things. And what, you know, where a tier insight used to be good enough, it's not. And now understanding exactly what the patient's facing from out-of-pocket perspective is just going to be a part of the way delivering great care is done.
0: So how do you, you mentioned that provider trust being important in the data and so on. How, how do you um, develop that trust? Because it's not a sort of a one-time, all-at-once kind of an approach. How, how do you actually look at that systematically?
1: It's, it's largely the quality of the data we're presenting in Workflow. So that takes a bunch of different forms. Some of that is the alternatives that are presented. So, um, you know, quantity issues with alternatives or You know think about if you presented a 90-day alternative for an antibiotic or an opioid to a doctor they'll never use that tool again right they're going to go this thing's broken that's a bad recommendation so we have to go to great lengths to make sure that any of those alternatives that we put forward are are going to be clinically relevant in context to the decisions being made Uh, similarly there's some like way in the weeds uh data exchange issues that are you know, EMRs and claim systems don't speak the same language as it relates to drug data. So we do a lot of translation between the two and the problems in those translations are wild, wildly variable based on provider or EMR. So it's, it's actually a learning model that has to yeah. continually update. Um, so it, it's those sorts of things that are, you know, decidedly unsexy. I would love for those to be yeah. like, I don't know, AI and blockchain driven. And there is some learning model aspects to it, but, um, It's, you know, these are just creating the good plumbing that so that we can put data forward that providers trust and they can use and that patients can benefit from. So that's foundationally provider trust. Um, We also do a lot. um, Our whole, you know, our client success and clinical programs team are are more often than not clinicians. And, um, you know, they can have empathy for the folks that are using the tool. They can relate to those folks. They can help plug into the learning and development systems inside a health system so that. So that the users are are informed and can adopt the the tools well.
0: Can you give an example of a sort of translation issue between an EMR and a claim system? What, where would be the problem there? Can't they just say both say aspirin?
1: Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, it's it's not in the pill and capsule scenarios. It's in the all the other non-standard drug forms. So so something may come out of the EMR as a package size. Think about an inhaler, and it may need to go into the claim system as you know, grams or milliliters or some specific measurement. And those things have to, it has to be translated from one to the other to price appropriately, and it has to be translated back to deliver it into the EMR appropriately. Um, and some of those things really matter. Those are the, those are the areas where there's a lot of cost, right. And that even what feel like somewhat innocuous things like inhaled steroids, uh, you know, albuterol comes in an inhaler and a disc and a nebulizer and have all those different forms. A health plan's probably specified that one of those is zero dollars and all the rest of them are two hundred and fifty bucks. And so, right. you know, from an out of pocket perspective, these things matter. Like I don't know that um that anybody's gonna change the world by being able to tell you the price of an antibiotic. Yeah. Uh, but in all these, you know, Derm and uh, you know, Oncology and these things where there are non-standard drug forms—that's where we've done the work to really start to put things forward that are reliable and trustworthy.
0: Got it. Let's talk about some of the things that have changed since you've you've been there. I mean, one thing is is obviously your role—you're the CEO—and another thing is the name of the company was RX Review and now Arrive Health. Can you talk about both of yep. those transitions?
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think from a naming perspective, we um, we still do. Everything that we did as a core function, as Rx Review, a real-time benefit network, and connecting those things to the point of care is still true. Um, I think what we see in the future, and, and in our present, are two things. One, it's it's not just about connecting the point of care; it's about connecting the care team and the patient uh, into a, a tightly orchestrated um, data exchange that helps all of them make better decisions around that same event. Um, one of the things we've done recently is we acquired um a capability from UPMC that's uh, a virtual pharmacy assistant it's it automates care team outreach to patients and helps deal with adherence issues um so an example of where we're expanding some of the things we're doing are that are just you know beyond what our core functions used to be so arrive health is a is a way for us to have a bit of a broader brand to articulate some of those things as they expand think similarly, you know, price transparency is not stopping with drugs obviously with all of the yeah. legislation that we've had um and so I think we're positioning ourselves well for the future too as those things start to expand.
0: And then what about your own role, Kyle, uh, as you'd mentioned you had been in the sort of the sales side before you came in uh to the company and then now you, you've taken over the the CEO role maybe a couple of years ago. By now what, what was the transition like doing that?
1: It was uh, you yeah, know, it was I've been here for, I mean, year nine, so worked really closely with the team as we've grown it all, all throughout. And um, you know, was happy to step in when the board asked me to take this role. I think we were in a different stage and just needed, you know, an opportunity to grow in a new way. And uh, you know, happy to serve.
0: Talk about you mentioned UPMC before. I think you have an investment from them um, as well. How, what's the relationship like? there and you know, how's, how's that impacting what you're doing on the, on the product strategy, you mentioned, you mentioned the virtual assistant, for example.
1: Yeah, so they uh UPWC's a longstanding long standing customer of ours on the real time benefit front, always been a big supporter. Um, we did, uh, at the end of last year, we, we acquired those capabilities and a team supporting those capabilities from them. Um, they did invest alongside that. I mean, this is just a, a further extension of what our strategy has been which is work closely with provider organizations that can you know be investors be on the cap table but also be sort of living laboratories for us and you know we work really closely with those providers to make sure that those products meet all the criteria that i just described a little bit ago you know or have a high bar for quality and trust um so you know future for us is a few things i mean one is that that automated patient outreach and really starting to create the tools that make um make a health system experience around pharmacy feel a lot more like a digital experience that you have in every other aspect of your life. So how do we inform provider with real-time patient-specific cost at the moment of order? Patient walks out the door, they can engage via text message with a capability that can then help them uh, have an affordability conversation with the technology, connect with the pharmacist if they need to. Um, the goal is to start to automate as much of that process as possible around affordability and access.
0: So you've been quite successful in this space and you have to cooperate with a lot of other players as other data suppliers that are in there as well. How do you differentiate yourself from competition? I'm thinking, I think SureScripts also would would at least, you know, claim to do something similar to what you're doing.
1: Yeah, a lot of it's around this, the quality aspects of what we're doing. So we, um, we've built, you know, we would claim that we've built the, the real-time benefit solution that's best positioned to serve specialty meds as an example um we and, and we've got a lot of data to back that up uh, i think also just the provider centricity is an important way that we differentiate that we you know we are an organization that was incubated by a health system we have a collection of health system investors that have resulted in you know products that are really attuned to the needs of both users and health system problems so we we uh we think we're pretty differentiated in that category as well
0: you mentioned in the in the name change broadening from you know rx which you had in the name before to, to arrive being broader, how much opportunity do you think there is beyond the, the pharmacy? We talk about pharmacy, including specialty products. Is that just the tip of the iceberg? Is it, you know, 50%, uh, or is it really the dominant part? And these, these other uh, elements are, are kind of minor in comparison.
1: Well, I think the first step on that path is to specialty meds that are on the medical benefit, right? You know, 50% of prescription spend is specialty drugs now representing 2% of prescriptions. So uh, in, in a lot of cases, those are medical benefit or administered drugs that, that just require different solutions. So we're actively expanding yeah. into that, that area to make sure we can serve that. Um, I think the, the natural continuation of that work will be that this expands beyond that into other medical benefit areas. That's, that's a much more complicated world as you know, just because, you know, the procedures that are going to have planned to happen on the way in the door and not always the procedures yeah. that happened when she walked out of the door. So, um, it, it's a, that is an emerging area that we will be really well positioned to support, but I don't know that that's exactly the focus of the company right now. Right now it's about how do we best serve specialty meds affordability onboarding and access. And that's where I think we've got the, the biggest opportunity in the near term.
0: Great. So you know, there's a lot of dark things happening, and probably in the economy and, and the world, and you know, hospitals are, are struggling. You mentioned your, your health system uh, focus to start with. As you look ahead, are you optimistic, pessimistic? What? How, how are you looking at the world?
1: The world generally, or healthcare.
0: Well, as it relates to yeah, no, <laughs> I won't. If, if you're if you're positive on the world, that'd be a different uh, different story, but. The, uh, for healthcare, and, and as I think specifically as it relates to what you're doing, is it, is it sort of tailwinds to it or, you know, you think you will run into more of a headwind?
1: I, I think there's nothing but opportunity ahead of us. I think the way that we position the company and our value proposition is going to change as a result of the environment that our customers reside within. Um, you know, health systems, we need to be focused on how do we support their own financial health. And that might be through automation. That might be through helping drive revenue for them. Um, that's an important part of our value story going forward. Um, but overall, those are just, that's the how on what yeah. is at its core serving patients around affordability. I think the the opportunity for health systems is that largely um, health systems are on defense as it relates to price transparency. And I think yeah. there are, in, in the world of drugs. Uh, There's a huge opportunity for health systems to be on offense. Like, like I mentioned earlier, that's where, that's where patients go for those answers first. And now the tools exist to deliver some of those answers in real time. And by doing so, the health system has a better opportunity to serve that patient as a pharmacy customer uh, in a risk environment, you know, all of the things that generate revenue for them now. So I, I really think that, um, specifically price transparency as it relates to medications is a great opportunity uh, for the health systems to sort of go on offense as it relates to price transparency.
0: Sounds good. So my final question for you is whether you have had a chance to do any reading, if there's any uh, good books you've read lately that you would, or, or another time that you would like to recommend to, uh, to the listeners.
1: Oh, geez. Good books lately. Actually, the, the one of the best books I've read lately is a book called See No Stranger. Um, I think the author's name was Valerie Kaur. Okay. Um and it was it was fascinating. It was awesome. And um I I tend to read a bunch of, you know, weird contemplative stuff from a bunch of different areas. Um, Richard Rohr and those types of folks, Susan yeah. Poetry. Uh this is definitely in that vein, but it's sort of how do we approach the world as a um intent to understand others and, and a curiosity and a sincere um, hope to understand them better. And just that simple reframe uh, can create some pretty powerful and meaningful change in the world. So see no stranger. That's the one I would read.
0: Check it out. Well, if we, if we needed to underline your um, liberal arts credentials, we've just done so. <laughs> it's definitely not a business book. Well, Kyle, I want no, to say, uh, Thank you. Thank you, Kyle Kaiser, CEO of Arrive Health, for joining me today on the Health Biz Podcast, talking about costs, transparency, and what to do about it all. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Health Biz Podcast with me, David Williams, president of Health Business Group. I conduct in-depth interviews with leaders in healthcare business and policy. If you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite service. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe on your second and third favorite services as well. There's more good stuff to come, and you won't want to miss an episode. If your organization is seeking strategy consulting services in healthcare, check out our website, healthbusinessgroup.com.